Welcome to SelfDiscoveryMedia.com, where we discover the communities that are making a difference in the lives of others. Our self-discovery is something we are all making on our life's journey. Here you will find the people that will be your guidance, that will be your inspiration, that will be there for you in support on your journey of life. Do enjoy. Our next show is... All set. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to An Author's Kiss right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest is Lionel Friedberg. We had a wonderful, wonderful talk in part one about his life in the movies and documentaries and how it came all about and the countries that he's worked in. And then we also spread our wings over into some wonderful dimensional stuff as well. Um, a wonderful conversation. And uh, he really has worked with some of the greats, but passion for documentaries and what, um, what stories they can tell. But he's also an author. And there's a few books here that we're going to be talking about today. One is Full service, the other forever in my veins, and the other one, the flying springbok. But we're going to start off with the full service because it was actually made into um, a Netflix series called Hollywood, which I did watch, absolutely fascinating, uh, very, very intriguing about the stars in Hollywood, all the secrets and, and the, the lies and the illusions, because of course they had to, uh, they had to paint a different picture to what these people really were a lot of them were homosexual or and you know rock hudson i mean he was the sex frog you know the heart thing and then you find out that you know he has aids and he was gay and and it shattered the illusion of many many people but along came this guy after the war uh, went to work for this car um car service and it ended up being something totally different isn't it and uh, you know how you met with Scotty how you persuaded him to to tell the story um, let's start with that book the full service welcome to the show Lionel thank you very much well I think I should let's preface it with um, I'll show you what Scotty looks like that's a photograph of Scotty and I that was taken at a Mardi Gras party in Beverly Hills about, uh, this is probably in 2012. That's the year the book came out. At that time, Scotty was in his, uh, I think he was in his late eighties when this image was taken. He died when he was 93. Anyway, um, I was at a dinner party with my wife in Beverly Hills uh, at a dear friend of ours. Um, and she used to have these extraordinary dinner parties and all very lavish and whatever else. And, uh, and there, there was this bartender, an, an elderly man. And I thought, you know, why, 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 why is a man of that age, his age, doing this? You know, surely, does he need the money or what? Anyway, um, the, the dinner party took place and, you know, Scotty came around and said, can I give, get you another drink? I said, yeah, but I'll come to the bar. And, 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 and get it myself. You don't have to bring it to me. And on the way to the bar, our hostess, her name was Joan Allemond, she came up to me and she said, you and Scotty really ought to talk to one another. And I said, why, Joan? And she said, he has the most amazing story to tell. You're a filmmaker. You're a writer. Scotty needs you in his life. I said, why? And she said, because he has an amazing story to tell. And I think that you're the kind of guy who may 
get his confidence and you might get him to open up and tell you his story. So I said, fine, what do you want me to ask him? And she said, just ask him to tell you about his life. Mm -hmm. So I went to the bar and I said, Scotty, I'll have another Shivers Regal, please make it a double. And by the way, Joan says I should talk to you. About what? Uh, and I said, about your life. And he sort of <laughs> laughed. And he said, well, what do you want to know? And I said, well, I have no idea what she meant by that. And he said, well, I was a Marine, if that's what you want to know about. I said, no, that's not particularly what I'm asking you about. I'm sure there must be more to it than that. And he said, oh, okay. He said, um, well, how about the fact that I knew Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn extremely well? And um, I said, oh, you did? That's interesting. Uh, tell me about them. And he said, well, that's only part of the story that I can tell you. So I said, well, what do you mean? Anyway, he started opening up and I was absolutely floored by what he was telling me. Mm -hmm. When he came, when, when the war ended, he was a Marine, by the way. He lost his brother on Iwo Jima. His brother was killed right next to him on Iwo Jima. Ooh, not he nice. grew up in Illinois. They were very, very poor. It was him, his mother, his brother, and there was a sister. The father left them. And uh, so the family had to give up their little farm that they lived on. They had to move into the city. They were very, very poor. And Scotty got a beat uh, um, handing out newspapers, um, delivering newspapers and do sh doing shoe, shoe shining in order to help his mother support the family. And so they had a really, really tough life. And when the war came along, Scotty was thrilled because he joined up as a Marine. Mm -hmm. Suddenly the world became an exciting place. And uh, when the war ended, he didn't want to go back to Illinois. He didn't want to go back to that kind of life. His mother was still there. His brother was dead now. His sister was still there. He decided that he wanted to live in LA because uh, the ship stopped in, in San Diego. He took a train to LA. He met a couple of people in the film industry. And he said, this sounds like an interesting place. I'd like to stay here. Anyway, the problem was at the end of the war, we had all of these young men coming out of the military, there was no work for them. There was nothing for them to do, you know. Um, Scotty was one of the fortunate ones. He got a job at a gas station on Hollywood Boulevard, um, pumping gas, you know, what they call here a, a, gas, a, a gas station jockey. And anyway, um, a lot of his buddies didn't have work and they would come and hover around the gas station with him at night. Some of them had girlfriends, others did not, but they had no work. And they used to come around there and you know, sort of shoot the breeze with him until midnight when he shut down the gas station. He, he always had the night shift. The owner used to leave at five o'clock in the afternoon, leave Scotty the keys and Scotty would be there till midnight. Then he'd close down the gas station. So his friends would hang around with him there. <clears throat> and one night, a big limousine arrived and Scotty went up to the car and the window glided down and he recognized the voice. He wasn't sure who it was, but he, he did know the voice. He said, that sounds familiar. It happened to be Walter Pigeon. Uh, and the voice said to him, um, young man, um, are those your friends over there? And Scotty said, uh, yeah, they are, you know. And the voice said, who's the one leaning against the pillar over there? So Scotty said, oh, you mean, you mean what, I forget his name, Tom. And he said, oh, Tom. And the, 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 the voice from the car, he didn't, there was no face. There was no light on the, whoever, the, where the voice was coming from. He said, yes, um, uh, yes, Tom, um, is it possible for me to see him at all? 
And Scotty twigged immediately that this guy wanted to pick up that friend of his. Mm -hmm. So he went over to his friend. He said, Tom, don't think I'm crazy, but I think you'll be able to make yourself 20 bucks tonight. You've got no money. Mm -hmm. This guy wants to see you. You may have to do a couple of things that you're not normally used to doing, but hey, there's $20 there for you. And his friend said, all right, fine. The friend got in the car. The car glided away into the night. And the next night, the next day, uh, the next evening, there was a, a string of cars at the gas station. <laughs> it was that quick. <laughs> Scotty became the go-to person in this town for organizing sexual liaisons. Now, Walter Pigeon, nobody knows that Walter Pigeon was married, but Walter Pigeon was gay. Mm. And Walter Pigeon, uh, Walter Pigeon and Scotty eventually became very, very close friends. But Scotty became friends and, be, and knew everybody in the industry after a while. Because first of all, all the makeup men used to arrive and then the art directors arrived and all the gay guys arrived. But then the straight people would start arriving as well. Mm. Can you arrange, you know, a nice girl for me or a nice guy? And what? And Scotty was the go-to person for sexual liaisons, be it straight or gay or whatever it is that you wanted. Scotty knew somebody who needed the money mm -hmm. and he would arrange that. Now, he wasn't, he wasn't acting as a pimp. He wasn't taking any money for himself. He was just connecting people with other people so that these friends of his could actually earn a couple of bucks. That's how it began. And Scotty eventually got to know everyone in the industry. Um, Two of his closest friends were Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. He knew George Kuko, the very, very famous director who won, was responsible for winning Academy Awards for, I think, six or seven different actresses. Um, you know, and he was, uh, he's probably best known for uh, My Fair Lady in the 60s. Mm. But prior to that, he worked with Judy Garland on A Star is Born and many, many other classic Hollywood movies. And George Kuko used to have these Sunday parties for George Cooker was very, very gay. And George Cooker eventually said to Scotty, I want you to bring 20, 20 guys to my house on Saturday. And he had a very nice palatial home in, uh, in Bel Air. And I uh, had a pool there and it was very, very quiet and very, very confined. So no one could see. And, and Scotty would arrive there with 20 good looking, strapping young men who had been in the army for George Cooker's Sunday get togethers. And this led from one thing to another. Eventually, Scotty knew, as I said, everybody in this town. And the book is filled with stories that I wrote for him because what eventually happened was I said to him, Scotty, you've got to tell the story. You've got to tell the story of your life. And he said, people have been asking me to do this for years, uh, but I've always resisted. But Joan kept nagging him. This is our, our hostess. She kept nagging him by saying, Scotty, let Lionel write your story. He'll do it in a way that won't sensationalize it. He'll do it with some degree of taste and integrity. And Scotty thought about it. And he thought about it. And he thought about it. And then one day I, my phone went and it was Scotty. And he said, okay, babe, why don't we do this? I'm getting old. I'm not going to be here forever. Let's tell my story. And so I had him come here to the house. I spent about 170 hours with him in my office. I pinned a microphone to his lapel and I just said, talk, just tell Let me. Let it out. Mm -hmm. Just tell me everything. 
and it was up to me to organize yeah. all with some kind of structure. Now, normally, if I if I had written a script for a film or whatever, I would send it out to uh, some place in order to be transcribed uh, to paper. But I couldn't send this out because some of it was pretty risky. Yes. <laughs> and so I had to do it all myself. And I sat here in my office with 175 hours of Scotty Bowen's life. And the end result of that was this book. Um, we, it was read by Gore Vidal, who Scotty knew extremely well. And Gore Vidal in this town is a legend. He, first of all, he was a wonderful writer, uh, but a great thinker and one of one of one of the one of the great you know in, 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 uh, intellectuals of 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 LA was Gore Vidal. Difficult man, but he read the manuscript because Scotty said, "Why don't you give it to my friend Gore Vidal? See if he likes what you've written." Well, you know, Scotty checked everything that I wrote. I wrote it in the first person because it's Scotty talking, not me. Scotty couldn't write. Right. I wrote everything, but I wrote it from his perspective. So it's all about I, I, me, me, you know. Mm. And I, I gave the manuscript to Gore Vidal to read. Two days later, Gore Vidal gets on the phone. He says, this is the best thing I've read in years. I'm going to introduce you to somebody who could become your agent. And I went down to Gore Vidal's house and I met a couple of people there. And then two days later, the phone goes and it's a top agent in New York. And he said, I want to take you on. I want to represent you for that book. And I said, okay, fine. Well, we did send it to Grove Atlantic Press. And the book became a New York Times bestseller mm -hmm. almost overnight. And it was featured on every television morning show. It was reviewed in all the press. There's a, there is also a British version uh, that has a slightly less, this is the American cover, which is a little noisy. Full service, yeah. But the British one is slightly less garish, but it, it has all of the, some of the people that are featured in the book. These are all movie stars, major movie stars. And um, it became an, a, a top seller in London as well. It now has been translated into Spanish, into Polish, into, <laughs> French, into German. Uh, in fact, somebody sent me a photograph of a billboard outside Warsaw advertising the book with a big picture of Cary Grant like this going, shh, don't tell anyone. And then the, the title of the, of the book, because it is an extraordinary story about um, Hollywood royalty. Now, at the time, you're, 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 you know, nobody's life is private, particularly in, 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 the, in the film industry, certainly not in this town. Whatever certainly you, not in these days either. Whatever you couldn't you pull this off. You couldn't pull that off in today's environment. Right. It's going to be known by the whole yeah. world, either on Facebook or Be whatever. tweeted somewhere. <laughs> be tweeted. <laughs> I hope we've come to the end of the tweeting. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> we hope. We have, and I cannot tell you how relieved I am about that, but we won't go there. Yeah. Anyway, um, so... Uh, it was the, the days of the studio system, the, the late 40s, the 50s, and certainly the, 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 the 60s, right towards the end of the 60s and the beginning of the 70s, was the studio system. The studios owned the stars. They were yeah. all on contract to the studio. They were not independent people. They were owned by MGM or Paramount or 20th Century Fox or Warner Brothers or whatever. You did exactly what you were told. You yeah. made the films they told you to do, and you behaved according to way, the way the studio wanted you to behave. Don't make waves. 
And certainly don't say anything that may offend the audience, your audience, the studio's audience, living out in the Midwest somewhere. Right. You don't offend people, you know, and homosexuality was not a popular subject. Uh, it was still illegal in many places, too. It still is today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the, the book is not only about the gay side of Hollywood life, it's about the straight side of Hollywood life as well. And it's about lesbians, it's about gay guys, it's about straight sex, but it's, it is the sexual proclivities and, and tastes and behaviors of a panoply of stars that starts Scotty knew intimately. And they're all, all those stories are told in this book. And it's not to sensationalize it, one of the reasons why I agreed to write the book for Scotty was I have never, ever met anybody as open mm -hmm. and as non-judgmental as Scotty Bowers was. The guy is now, he passed away two years ago. Um, when it came to sex, he was the most open-minded person I ever came across in my life. And I thought this is something quite admirable. I, you know, I wish there were more people like that. How dare we judge Mm. other people and what they do even if it's be behind closed doors you know we can't uh sit in judgment of anybody and you know the human being whether we like it or not we are sexual beings yes sex is a drive behind so much it's behind you know so many things uh behind society behind behavior behind all kinds of things sex is what drives so much about what people are about and we kind of tend to deny that but during the days of the studio system a husband and wife would never be depicted in a movie sleeping in the same bed. They right. Bed. Yes. And, you know, never mind talking about uh, gay people. I, I think uh, Splendor in the Grass was one of the first films that touched upon the, the, the idea of, of, of sex between teenagers during the awakening mm. years. And it had Warren Beatty in it, and I think Natalie Wood was in that. She was still a very, very young girl. So sex was a, was a topic that, that the movies did not touch upon at all uh, the way we do now. And Scotty was totally open-minded about all of this. And that's what I found so refreshing about the guy. Mm. And I found that I, I, I said, you know, Scotty, you are absolutely incredible, particularly some of the things that you're telling me. And I'm not going to give any details here because I'd like people to go out and buy the book because they will enjoy it. It's a juicy read, I can tell you. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> some of the some of the some of the, the things that are discussed and described would be pretty shocking to some. I have a I had a dear friend uh, in England when the book came out in in the UK. Um, she read the book and my phone went and she said, "Lionel, I'm absolutely shocked." And I said, "Why, June?" And she said, "Because you said all these things about Walter Pigeon, and I, as a schoolgirl, I walked across the moors with my friends, and we went to see uh, Mrs. Miniver. I think the film was just after the war. And suddenly, you write all the stuff about 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 Walter Pigeon. How dare you do that?" And I said, I said <laughs> yes. June, "Shattered the illusion." <laughs> you fell in love with a character. Yes, I am the character is a human being. And that's what I was writing about, not the character that you fell in love with. People do these things. People are sexual beings, whether you like it or not. And the thing and, is, you, you look at the Cary Grants, Cary right? Grant. You know, you know how much <coughs> people yeah. fell madly in love with him. Well, Cary Grant, you know, and, and, uh, and um, uh, Scott, what's his name? Randolph Scott, who was a big Western star. They were lovers. They were both married. But together they owned a, a, a beach house here at Malibu. 
and um, and they were they were they were they 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 lived together for many many years. They lived a double life. They had their own life with their wives, and they had this this life with with. Each but other. obviously, the wives had to be in on it. Of course, they were, but yeah. but, but you dare not speak about it. And right. Now, here's the interesting tale: is that is that this this huge romance that's supposed to have taken place between Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn never really happened. The mm. studio invented that story. Spencer Tracy went both ways, and Catherine Hepburn was as lesbian as can be. She was totally lesbian. Scotty fixed up for her hundreds of girls during her life, and literally hundreds of girls. Um, and you know, when Scotty told me about some of these people, I I didn't know any of the stuff. You know, stuff makes Charlton, Charles 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 Lawton and many, many others, you know, Rock Hudson is perhaps the most famous, but I couldn't believe some of the tales that he told me. And I tried to make it not sensationalistic. And I certainly kept, it wasn't like peeping through a keyhole and seeing something dirty. This was just what Scotty described to me and what went on. And anyway, the audience loved it. The readers around the world loved the book and it became a New York Times bestseller for 10 weeks. It would become an LA Los Angeles Times bestseller as well. So. I am, my mother would be appalled if she knew that I wrote that book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she turn on my grave. But you know what? My mother was very prudish, of course. Uh, um, uh, and my mother grew up in a very small town in South Africa. And you can understand where she came from. But, you know, I, I, I feel no embarrassment or shame whatsoever for having written this book for Scotty. Because it tells it like it is. Right. And right. Why, why should... Uh, we deny that to anybody, you know. I think it's ridiculous. And here's what's so interesting, is when the book really took off and started to sell big time, the publishers were inundated by letters from parents and from young people saying, thank you for opening up this world. I was now able to come out to my parents. Mm. Or the parents saying, thank you for doing this, because when our child told us, that he or she was gay, we weren't as shocked and as appalled as we would have been had we not read that book. Right, yeah. right, yeah. So it did serve some sort of strange purpose and it did have, there was a benefit, I think, to people to be exposed to this. Um, anyway, um, the book was made into a documentary uh, by a, a gentleman by the name of Matt Turner and um, it, it, it did rather well. I, I, I'm executive producer on that show, but Matt directed the film. And then it inspired that series, which you mentioned called mm -hmm. Hollywood. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but it is now, they're going to base it entirely on this book. And I'm not sure if they're going to use this title, but Fox Searchlight Pictures, which is the, 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 uh, the, the sort of quality label, if you like, of what used to be 20th Century Fox Studios, which is now owned by Walt, the Walt Disney Company. But Fox Searchlight Pictures uh, are going to make a book, a, a movie based entirely on this book. And the director is an Academy Award winning director. And uh, I'm not sure who's going to play Scotty Bowers. I said at the end, when I wrote this book, I said, I know exactly who should play Scotty Bowers. And I was almost tempted to do a screenplay myself. But my agent said, hang on, you might be able to make you, you might be able to make some money if somebody buys the rights to the book. So I didn't write the screenplay, but we'll see who they cast. And I just hope they do it justice. And I just hope that they don't sensationalize or cheapen it. I would right. be very, I'd be very angry if they did that. 
And well, other what, what do you think of the Hollywood one? Do you think they've they've done it justice? Well, you know, that was inspired by, not based mm -hmm. on this book. It was inspired by. It was most of it was fabricated. Most of the stories in there uh, were invented for for that series. But the guy at the gas station, the trailer in the back of the yard behind the gas station, it's all molded exactly on what we described in this mm -hmm. book. Uh, so did they do it justice? I mean, I think so. Uh, I think it was it was it was popular. Certainly, you know, a mm -hmm. ton of people watched it. Uh, but you know, sex sells, right? Yes. And um, particularly when it's to do with Hollywood royalty. I think you know today we're, we're always asking people to be themselves. You know, the self discovery of who you really are. What's your yeah. gift? How do you bring it and and share it out with the world? And to be yourself unapologetically. You know, no matter what your sex or religion or whatever else is, yeah. uh, your faith, uh, and that to to own it. And you know, you're talking about a time period where it was all about Hollywood illusion. And yeah. you know, we look at Hollywood today. There's still the illusional going on. Even, you know, their so-called reality TV is still staged in many ways. There's still an it's illusion. Staged. It's all written. And there's yeah. reality. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. And so we, when we hear stories like this, and, you know, we admire them so much for the roles they played and how they made us feel. Even, you know, I have to admit, um, there's been many an actor I've looked at and go, oh, you know, yes, you could be my heartthrob. And then I find out they're gay. Yes. And that seems to be a trend of mine. I'm not quite sure what it's saying. <laughs> uh, maybe it's because they're in touch with the feminine side of things. But um, it's disappointing as a straight woman, obviously. But it's reality. And if we could just mm. accept people for who and what they are without that's them having to, you know. They are. That's yes. Yes. And, and that's the message of the book. Mm -hmm. And that's really why I wanted to write it. Or why I agreed to write it. And I had a lot of fun writing it because I had a lot of fun listening to those stories, I can tell you. Yes. Um, yeah. But I, I, I felt that there, there, there was purpose in that. You know, um, people are who they are and how dare we judge them. Or deny them. Or deny them, precisely. Uh, you know, one of the more, one of the more interesting stories, and, and I imagined the queen taking her morning tea, reading the Times of London, when the book was reviewed as it was in England, because it talks about her uncle, the, the Duke of, uh, of Windsor. Mm -hmm. He was gay. And Mrs. Simpson, who he married, this divorcee, she was lesbian. Ah. And is it true or is it not? I'm not going to be the one to, to, to answer that because I, I only reported what Scotty told me. Right. Scotty met the Duke of Windsor here in, in LA when he came out uh, on one of his many trips to California, as was, well as Mrs. Simpson. And um, there were four actors, Charlton, Charles Lawton was one of them, but Peter Bull was another British actor, wonderful, wonderful actor. He was, in, uh, he was the Russian in Dr. Strangelove, mm -hmm. Peter Bull, um, who had the biggest teddy bear collection of anyone, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> and they all said, no, 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 no. The reason why the man had to uh, um, um, give up the throne mm. because of his lifestyle. He could never live his lifestyle and be in the public eye and be yeah. gay because yeah. he was. And it was a perfect arrangement. So they concocted the story.
Yeah, okay. they still made him a villain, but it was a villain for a different reason. A villain for a different reason. He couldn't marry the woman he loved. Right. And all the rest of it, that she was lesbian and he was gay. And Scotty, Scotty tells me that he actually had a, se- a sexual liaison with 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 the Duke of of of, of Windsor, in the one of the cottages um, at the Bevel at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And am I to question that? No, I don't doubt for one moment that Scotty lied. You know, I used to I used to test Scotty many many times. I was wondering, can all this really be true? So he would say something to me. I had it all down on tape. I had it all written down. And I would ask him again three or four sessions later the same question. And word for word, he would repeat what he told me before. There were no lies. And Scotty has a, had, an, had a photographic memory. He would remember addresses, telephone numbers. He would even remember license plate numbers of, of people. That's what an incredible guy he was. He was an extraordinary person. So Scotty didn't fabricate things. He didn't lie. <clears throat> and when the book came out, we had a we had a book signing at a bookstore on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, and all of these people arrived for the uh, launch of the book on canes <laughs> and with walkers, and the, the, the press was there, and there were cameras there, and in fact, on YouTube you can see the the launch of that book. It's still on YouTube now. Um, and Scotty would tell these stories and half the audience would say, ah, please, that's not true. And then the guy on the walker at the back of the room would say, oh, yes, it was because I was there. And do you remember? The, the, everything was validated. Right. Everything was validated. Um, and why, why should we look at that as so far-fetched? I mean, well, exactly. let's refer to 2020, <laughs> you know, and the, the twilight zone we're in right now. Uh, if you had said, 10 years ago, this is what's going to happen. You go, no, never. If it was written 10 years ago, uh, why do we look at these things and think, oh, no, no, it has to be a lie. The only reason we say that and we complain about that is because we really don't want it to shatter the illusion of what we perceive as a truth. That's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the, the problem is that some people become offended by that. Yeah. And uh, then they take umbrage with that. And of course, you know, get very upset as my friend June did. And she said, I'll never speak to you again. Well, she did speak to me again. <laughs> she was mortified when she read that. I said, June, you know, Walter Pigeon, that's what, that's what he did. You fell in love with the character, not the man. You know? Right. Right. Anyway, uh, yes. And anybody who's dated actors, <laughs> no, that you're drawn to the actor character that they were. And very often <laughs> the reality is not the same. And in fact, one of the guys I dated, um, he, he had played so many roles and he would play those roles during the date. And I'm like, well, who are you? He yeah. didn't know. Yeah. He didn't know. He just stepped into his roles all the time, you know, yeah. and yeah, yeah. You know, which is, which was sad, but you know, that's, that was his journey to find. Um, yeah. You know, why are we so intrigued? Is it the sexual exploits or is it because finally the truth is revealed and you feel sorry for them having to live such a lie. And yeah. it also makes us more understanding of the people that are going through what they're going through today. Mm. Uh, and to accept that, why do they have to live a double life or hide behind corners or be fearful yeah. of being arrested? Okay. Um, you know, why can we not accept them and just love them for who they are? the roles that they play and who gives a damn about the sexuality as long as uh, obviously there is a decorum about it yes. you know not in your face but you know it's 
And as long as nobody's being hurt in the process. Yes, that's exactly. That's yes. And, and that plays into the whole idea of, you know, exploiting children. So right. Very, very, very careful about that. Uh, and you don't want to go there because that's bad. But outside of that, you know, it's not our business. Let people do what they want to do, provided there's no pedophilia involved. Right. There's nothing about that that's going to be hurtful to anybody else. Let them get on with it. And why yes. not? You know, if it's two you know, mutual consents, then yes. who are we to judge? You know, people are not, do not choose to be who and what they are. You're right. born that way. You can't yes. choose it. You know, no. just, just the way it is. And I know I've been in the film industry for 55, 60 years. And I know so many people who are absolutely wonderful. They don't choose who they are. They are. That's the way they are. They can't help it. You know? yeah. And yeah. so why deny them and make their lives miserable because of it? It's ridiculous. Right. It's totally wrong. Yes. There's some places in the world where you can still have the death sentence if you're found out. Yep. I mean, it's unbelievable that in this day and age, many countries in Africa and the Middle East will remain unknown and, and we won't mention names. It's, 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 uh, it carries the death sentence. Yes. And, well, you never mind. It was a crime in England until what? Oh, until yes. The 60s. 70s. I know. I know. But even here, I mean, you know, um, uh, I, I'm not a religious person. I'm a very spiritual person. Yeah. And I think any religion that can condemn someone mm. for, you know, their, their sexual prowess or their sexual differences uh, and condemn somebody, you know, especially, you know, impart violence on them is no religion I want to know anything about because that's not God's message. Absolutely right. Right? You know, God's message is love and he doesn't make mistakes. So as if he's made people gay or straight or whatever, transgender, whatever, then that's the way they were made. Uh, respect that. Yes. Right? You know, you in Canada have a much better uh, title for these people. The First Nation people mm -hmm. in Canada. Yeah, here they still, I think, refer to them as, in, as, as, as Native American Indians. But anyway... In many, many tribes of the, the First Nation people or the Native Americans, whichever what title you want to use, uh, if you were gay, you were often regarded as being something special chosen by the Great Spirit. Mm. And they would be elevated to a special role in, 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 the, in, in the tribe. There's a wonderful film directed by Arthur Penn. It stars um, 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 who was in The Graduate, uh, um, Dustin Hoffman. Yes. It stars Dustin Hoffman. And it's a marvelous film called Little Big Man. Yes, I remember. And that. Little Big Man, as far as I'm concerned, is an American classic. <coughs> it is an absolutely extraordinary film for so many reasons. And in there, there is a there's a there's a gay guy in the tribe, and uh, Dustin Hoffman. He's a, he's born as as a white child, adopted by the Indian this this tribe, and uh, you know he says to this old man, he says, "Grandfather, why is that man different?" And the grandfather, who's an Indian man, says because the great spirit chose him. He has a special role to play. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's a karmic thing. Who knows? We don't know how these things factor and how, how it works, how and why we manifest the way we do when we come into the physical world. But it doesn't happen for nothing. There has to be some kind of, and those people respected that. Right. They regarded them as having some special role to play. What was that role? I have no idea. But who knows? I mean, you know, so we can't sit in judgment of these people. We don't know. Yeah, but humans love to judge, you know. We that's... Do, and we do far too much of that. Yes. Way, way, way too much of that. And, you know, right. that, that's, that's got to go. 
it's got to go because as we see you know the division because of it and uh, you know we know that that division is not something that's good for anyone whatsoever um and uh you know surely by now in 2020 we should be looking at acceptance really who cares what the color of your skin is what your sexuality is what your faith is it's about your core soul heart and spirit and how you treat people what your contribution is is to to this planet to humanity uh and it's got nothing to do with anything else and we should see people for who they are not for the encasing that they're in um but yeah that's uh humans have still got a long way to go on that as as is evident the what we're seeing you know right now it's evident by what is going on in this country right now. yes sadly far too much but you know again you know um disruption the, the wonderful celtic rune haglas disruption you yeah. have to have disruption before you have clarity yeah and it's going through that disruption at well the again it's moment. the negative pushing you to something positive it's 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 that process at work you've got to have that negative you've got to have something that gets you to something else yes that puts it on another level you know um I mean, but just that's like what you've done with this book is you know the illusion of all these people that we revered mm-hmm. um and you know the showing the reality you know and also what great actors and actresses they were in yeah. in in living that double life indeed absolutely right? yeah so yeah. you know it's uh, in showing that and you and it's also well, how they were made to even suffer for not allowed to be in themselves. You know, yeah. it's, it's, you know, that in itself is as a wake up call for us. Well, you know, why would we impose that on other people? A lot of them have suffered horrendously. Because, yes. You know. Yes. And the way I would have ended the movie, if I were to make this feature film that is going to be made uh, on Scotty's life, one of the things that Scotty did was he arranged uh, uh, um, two people to get together who were both very, very wealthy. And one of the men, uh, was responsible for actually buying the land and and putting forward most of the money that built the music center here in Los Angeles, the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion and the Mark Taper Theater and the uh, that whole area, which is d- downtown where the Walt Disney Hall is now. What we it's now it's now the, the music center. It's called. They they this this man ra- ra- gave the money for that, and he was involved with an election. And when the mayor was running for mayor of, of, of the town, this guy said to him, I'll finance your campaign, your campaign entirely on one condition. And this was back in the uh, 50s. And so I forget who the mayor was at the time. And, but, but what this man said was to the mayor was, if you get the vice squad of the police off the backs of the mm-hmm. gay community, I will finance your campaign and to, 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 uh, to, to get you into office. And, and he did, and he did go, um, get into office. He be, did become the mayor, and the vice squad was dismantled. And Good. that got the horrors and the nightmare of this horrible vice squad who mm. used to go around arresting people left, right, and center, you know, for stuff that wasn't a crime. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> yeah. We could go on and on about that book, but I do actually want to talk about your other book, Forever in my veins yes well now this book is 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 uh is is quite interesting because um it is the story of uh one night it it, it i opened the um, the book with a, a tale 
of sitting in front of the television one night. One of my favorite shows, by the way, uh, I don't watch much television. I watch a lot of movies, of course, mm-hmm. old ones, new ones, not much TV because I really um, I don't have time. And besides, you know, I've spent enough time in my life making the damn stuff. But I love Jeopardy, that quiz show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do watch Jeopardy. So one night the kids were still at school. This is about, I don't know, uh, 26 years ago. We were watching Jeopardy. It was a very, very hot Californian evening. And I had on a pair of short trousers. The kids were doing their homework. I was watching Jeopardy. My wife came and sat next to me. And she looked down and she said, why are your ankles so swollen tonight? And I said, what do you mean? And I looked down and I said, oh, my God, you're right. My ankles are swollen. I wonder what that's all about. So I I thought, this is no good. I went to see my doctor and he said, "Uh uh-oh. He said, you've got edema big time down in your ankles. It's either one of two things. You've got heart trouble or you've got a kidney problem. Let's see what it is. Let's send you to a nephrologist and get, let's get you checked out. Anyway, two weeks later, I had had a biopsy on my kidneys and I have a chronic kidney condition that was serious enough to, you know, uh, I, he, my nephrologist said, you probably will be on dialysis within 10 years. Uh, because this this illness is going to kill you, it, and you, it's, a, it's a very long term. But basically, uh, all the little nephrons on my kidneys had failed completely. We have no idea why. So he said to me, "Were you? Did you ever get bitten by a, a bug? You've probably got something in your system, because your immune system is what is 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 causing this. Your immune system is turning against your body. What could have triggered this? Were you ever bitten by a bug, a spider, or this or that? I said, yeah. I spent a long, long time of my chunk of my life in Africa. I was bitten and by everything. I've swum in filthy rivers. I've drunk dirty water. I may well have. Who knows? And he said, well, for whatever reason, your immune system is turning against you. The only way we can save your life is to uh, crush your immune system. We have to um, put your suppress it, and so started this nightmare of these immunosuppressants that I that I that I began, and it it took years and years and years and years for the, for the situation to stabilize. Now that's how the book starts, and what's so interesting about it is while I was sitting in my nephrologist's office that day, I was thinking back to this occasion when I was living in Central Africa, in Northern Rhodesia, when I had to leave the television station because of independence. And my, uh, the servant who worked for us, he said, now let's find out what you're gonna do with your life. And took me to see this, this, uh, this, 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 this uh, healer, this traditional healer. And this woman through the bones, she predicted this illness. Mm. She predicted that illness 60 years ago. She said, you are going to get a sickness that is going to almost kill you. And you're going to spend the rest of your life, once you have this illness, you're going to spend the rest of your life fighting it. She predicted that. And that's how I start the book. Why? Because I said to a friend of mine who's a surgeon in Santa Barbara, up the road from where I live, about uh, an hour away from here. um, I said, Dave, what am I going to do about this? Now, this friend of mine, he's also from South Africa, and he has studied African shamanism. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm going out to South Africa to do some more research in uh, in a few months. Why don't you come with me? And let's see if they have an answer. And I said, you, as a surgeon, an allopathic doctor, Mm -hmm. you're telling me to go and see an African shamanism, shaman? 
to throw some bones <laughs> and yes. prescribe some weird stuff in a bottle. Are you serious? And he said, I am absolutely serious. That's how much respect I have for that paradigm of healing. Yes. So I did. And I went back with him. And it was an extraordinary experience because I met the most amazing people. And I think were it not for them, plus the allopathic medicine that I've been taking and the, the healing that I've been getting here, without those guys, I don't think I would have survived mm. because they have been amazingly helpful to me. And the book, the through line of the book is everything that that, that shaman told me years and years and years and years ago has all come to pass. I'll give you an example. She said to me, one of the things she says, and this is through an interpreter. She said to me uh, while I was sitting in this mud hut uh, of hers, and she was all wrapped up in all these blankets. It was a stiflingly hot day. She was wrapped up in all these blankets and, you know, and uh, interpreting these bones. And one of the things she said is, oh, she said, you are going to go to a place one day where there is nothing. Everything is just white, white, white. There is nothing. There's just whiteness. And I thought, what on earth is she talking about? <laughs> I wrote these things down. Another thing she told me was, be very careful of the great beast in the forest because it is it will it will be very close to, to killing you you must be very careful of that so i thought okay whatever that is i wrote that down and another thing she said to me she said, be careful of the big water you will almost die in the big water she threw all these things out none of them made sense none right. of them made any sense right. at all and one of the most extraordinary things she told me was you are going to meet the man who was like this and in in the african paradigm that symbol these two fingers together means very, very close. Mm -hmm. She said, you will meet a man who was this close to the most evil man who ever lived. Mm. And this is coming from my, this guy interpreting for me, you know, neither of us understood what she meant. Anyway, I made a notable, you know, all those things came true. I went to the Antarctic where everything is white. Right. I was almost trampled by an elephant in Botswana, I beg your pardon, in Mozambique uh, on a film. Uh, the elephant was shot and died literally six feet away from where I was behind the camera. This is the great beast that nearly killed me. Mm -hmm. She says, you know, that the great water will try to kill you. I was on an icebreaker on, on the ocean in the South Atlantic, which almost capsized in a storm at sea. Everything this woman said came true. And as for this, this man that she said is the most evil person in the world, I, I did a documentary series on the history of South African Airways. Now, South African Airways was formed in 1934. Uh, its origin goes back to 1929, but the airline began in 1934. And in 1936, an order was placed with a company in Germany for some new aircraft. Now, how do you fly an aircraft all the way from Bremen in Germany to Johannesburg? There are very few airports along the way. How do you do that? That in itself is a tale to be told. Um, but one of the pilots who flew that was a man by the name of Hans Barr. And it turns out that that guy was still alive when I was making this documentary. And so I said, I've got to interview him. I've got to interview this guy. Imagine flying a three engine aircraft all the way from Germany to South Africa, across darkest Africa. How do you do that? You know, and landing in airstrips, just dusty fields. Yeah. Uh, that whole story, that whole adventure, when I went to Germany to go and interview him, I was told that not only did he fly that flight, but he actually had a very interesting record during the Second World War. And so we did some digging. 
and it turned out that he was Adolf Hitler's personal pilot. <laughs> he and Adolf Hitler were very, very close buddies. In fact, I think of all the people in Adolf Hitler's life, he trusted no one as much as he trusted Hans Bauer. He would tell him everything. He knew, Hans Bauer knew more about Hitler and his inner workings of the, of the Nazi party than anyone else. And, you know, uh, it was an extraordinary experience meeting this guy and interviewing him because I was a handshake away from Adolf Hitler, who was yes. one of the most evil person who ever lived, right? But a sweet man. <laughs> and, we, and we, you know, we, we had schnapps together and he showed me his photograph albums and all this. So everything that this woman told me came true. So this book, Forever in My Veins, is about the spirit and the mysticism or the, or the mystic side, the mysterious side of Africa that still pulses through my veins. I, to, if you ask me, what are you? Or am I an American? What am I? Am I ca a Caucasian? No, I am an African. That's my background. Mm -hmm. It pulses within me. It still runs in my veins. Right. And so that's why I called it that. And everything that I have learned in my life, and I've been working in Hollywood now for 35 years, and I've worked on movies for 50 years, you know, I've still always kept this African tradition alive. It's given me my values. It's given me my perception of the world and what makes it tick. And the fact that there is mystery to be discovered in every leaf, in every forest, in every event, it all comes from my African background. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to keep that alive. And I wanted to share that with people. And I also wanted to share the fact that I met some extraordinary people on my journey as a filmmaker. So this is what I try to encapsulate in this book forever in my veins. And um, the publishers, I, I found a publisher in London. I couldn't find a publisher in America. And my agent in New York, who was my agent for full service, he said, I'll never be able to sell this book to an American publisher. Mm -hmm. but, but I did, a, a British publisher took it on. And uh, the book officially comes out at the end of December and will be on sale throughout the, throughout the English speaking world. And I'm delighted because I want to share those adventures. I want to share my joy of meeting extraordinary people. You know, one of the most amazing films that I ever worked on was the story of the Voyager spacecraft that went to four planets. It went to Jupiter and Saturn and Uranus and Neptune. And the story of how that mission came about and how it was engineered and how that whole thing was designed and how the whole program, the whole a process of that was devised, taking advantage of the alignment of the planets. You know, this is an extraordinary tale. Yes. And I made a documentary called Sail on Voyager for PBS here in the United States. It, and uh, it, for me, it's, it remains my favorite film to this day. So I have met extraordinary people, you know, uh, from Carl Sagan to Arthur Clarke. Uh, you know, I've met them all, Neil Armstrong, the first man on the moon. Um, and I wanted to share that with people. Mm. And so they're in there as well as traditional healers and people of that nature. You know, no matter how, how big or small your name may be, yes. everybody has something to offer and you can learn something from everybody, everybody. And I wanted people to just share that adventure and that joy with me as I found it in my life as a filmmaker. Mm. So that's what the book is about. And you can't deny what runs through your veins. You know, I'm, I was British born. We went out to South Africa when I was a teenager. And I always had an affinity with with Africa, with Africans. 
um, the beat, the rhythm. That was really what ran, you know, through me. I live here in Canada now and we, we have, um, you know, our First Nation people and I highly respect their culture, but yeah. it's not one I have an affinity with. I've always had affinity with the beat of Africa. Um, and it's just something that's, that's always there. And, you know, we, we have, we sometimes know our past lives, you know, sometimes we get a glimpse of, you know, where we've been at one, at one point in time. Um, and, uh, you know, somewhere along the line, I was in Africa, I was probably African. Um, and it's every lifetime we gather an imprint of that lifetime that we take onto the next. And it's uh, if we can unravel that in some way, in some story of uh, the effects of the people that we meet. And uh, it just, it's just something that is, um, I think people who are reading it, it always, whether they've had the same experience or not, it opens them up to the experiences they have had, mm -hmm. the people they have met that they haven't given credence to. Mm. Well, I don't know anybody, whether a tourist or a business person or whatever, who's been to Africa and not come away yeah. quite transformed by the experience. Yeah. They've all said that was special. I don't know why, but it was. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you think about it, um, we as humans, and I'm talking about just the physical side, now, not necessarily on the spiritual side, but, you know, we are all African. We, mm. our species, that's where we came from and it resonates with us or fears us depending who we are <laughs> yeah. well, Africa is a special place but it's not confined to Africa Africa is what the drive is they uh, in in terms of the book uh, the, the book goes all over the world the book goes to as I said the Antarctic it goes to an uh, to a tiny island in the Atlantic Ocean, I, I did a series once, which, which was called A Delicate Balance, which looked at the relationship between humans and our world and our environment, and how uh, we need to become slightly more uh, responsible custodians of the world on which we live. And I wanted to find a pristine, untouched environment that was not tampered with or in any way affected by humans. And there is such a place, it's called it's called Marion Island and it's in the it's in the Atlantic Ocean. And I went there and there's a research base there. And I used the island as a, as, as, as an example of a lab where you can study from within with no impact of humans at all and how it works beautifully on its own. It's a completely enclosed ecosystem on its mm -hmm. own, kind of like the Galapagos would have been if the islands had been further away from the mainland. Right. And, uh, and, and the lesson of Marion Island and what you learn from that, you know, and uh, the fact that, 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 that if we didn't tread as, 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 as harshly as we do upon our planet and interfere so much with the environment the way we do, Marion is an ideal place because it's perfect. It, it's not, it's unspoilt. And I wanted to use that as an example. So, you know, I take, the, I take the reader there. I take them to all kinds of exciting places because I just find the world so absolutely amazing but africa is the is 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 the through line that sort of links it all together and i keep coming back to what this ancient woman in that mud hut told me yeah it's an extraordinary story you know so the imprint of this particular publishers this comes up under the under the category of spiritual books mm -hmm. for that reason whereas the the other one i wrote the aviation book 
uh, is under their imprint for history because it's a, it's, it's a historical book about aviation. And I'm glad that they, that they chose that because that's what it's about. It's yes. a spiritual quest, understanding this amazing planet that we live on. And we do have this amazing planet. And I think if, mm. you know, we take so much for granted and if we could only just live in appreciation, live in gratitude, mm. you know, this planet provides us way beyond what we think we need. It's a constant giver. And we as humans have been constantly taking without appreciation. And, you know, Mother Nature will always give us a lesson, which we know we're having right now. Having that now. But if we could only open our eyes up to the gifts, you know, go, go for a walk in the forest. You know, what? when you look at a forest, there are hardly any trees that look exactly alike. Right. And some are broken, some are old, some are new, some are different, uh, you know, different type of tree. But the matrix that they have underneath, they're communicating with each other all the time. Yeah. Uh, they're feeding each other all the time. They will speak to you if you would only open up that channel and listen to them. Um, you will always come out of the forest with something, even if you don't can't articulate it, you will know. Oh, yeah. And if we could look upon ourselves as human beings, as a forest and be there for each other, no matter what you, you know, we are and understand that beautiful connection that we have and communicate with each other, we would be much stronger. We don't fall to tree for falling in the forest. No. Out of that old tree comes new growth. And, you know, we've, I think we need to get off our own ignorance and our own high horse and, and look at nature as our lesson as a yeah. teacher, because it really is a wonderful teacher. Oh, of course, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, a lot of the astronauts, when they are on the space station, mm. flying around at 17,500 miles an hour, 300 miles up in the air, uh, up, in this, up in space, they look down and say, you know, look at that planet. Yes. Look how incredible that planet is. We have to learn to understand her and nurture her and protect her more than we do. And, you know, we've overrun her. There oh, yeah. are too many of us and we just haven't taken care of it properly. Um, I think we kind of raped and pillaged her. You know, we're, we're just draining her resources, yeah. you know, without allowing any time for regrowth because yeah. we've just become too opulent, too greedy. And it's time to rein in and show some appreciation and start seeding back watering and nurturing back. And that that's not just the earth resources, you know, that's our soul and heart resources that we need to do that too as well. Well, absolutely. And also the other life forms that share our planet with us, the way we treat them. Oh. I deal with that in great detail uh, because I, 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 that's something that really, that, that's a great force in my life. Uh, the way we, we treat the non-human world for me is a source of terrible, terrible sadness. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I really wish that more people knew like what you put on your plate for breakfast, mm -hmm. where did it come from and how did it get there? Yes. And what kind of life did it have before mm -hmm. it ended up on your plate? Have you ever thought about that? Right. Very, very important to know these things and to sense those things and to respect those life forms, um, and to treat them a little more carefully than the way we are now, you know, Agriculture has now become an industry. Yes. Industrialized. And it's ruthless. And there is. Horrific. Absolutely awful. And it drives me insane. I'm a vegan, by the way. Mm -hmm. so, um, I'm 90%. I'm 
90 percent vegan I don't, I don't have to go further than that i mean i don't even wear leather because right. of that. Mm. We, we really need to be nicer to to our, our fellow beings i think david attenborough said it very nicely recently uh, just a week or so ago um you know he's an extraordinary naturalist mm. and uh, has made all these amazing programs and he was interviewed on the bbc and he said you know i was almost i was always an optimist no longer i'm now a pessimist mm. because we have become so uh careless and so unfeeling towards our environment and, and self-absorbed uh, that uh that i i feel a great sadness now and um i hope we can save our planet and I want young people to be aware of this. I do believe that young people will turn it around. Yes. This Greta Thunberg, mm -hmm. I would make her the boss of the world tomorrow. I would put her in charge of everything tomorrow if I could. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think she's extraordinary. Right. I want to I know this girl. She's yes. amazing. Yes. And, and a no nonsense, you know, like made a, a statement, will you, you know, will you try and talk to Trump? And she said, why bother? He won't be able to hear. You know, it's just like, Stop beating the bush. You know, it's it's speak to the people that are on the fence or that want to change, not the people that would deny change at any time. You know. Oh, yeah, we want to go. Like, talk about an old soul and a wine. Yes. Soul. Yes. Do something else. For, for if that answer, when she said to you, he wouldn't even understand. I mean, no. she really knows. Yeah. Really knows. Well, you read a little excerpt from uh, what your grandson of the age of nine wrote. Yes. And and way profound for a nine-year-old. But this oh, yeah. is this is our beautiful indigo children. They were born on a different vibration, a different frequency. Yeah. And you know, as much as we have screwed up this world for them, mm. we've also bought them some incredible technologies that they will now use in a more conscious way. Yes. And they are our answer for our future. So you know, I have actually a, a series that's going to be going out next year called the Forgotten Children series. Oh, yeah. um, and each person will contribute a chapter to it. And it is about the investment of our, of our children. So we don't have a dysfunctional society. But let us not forget the, the forgotten child within us mm. that is crying out you know, for some love and attention because it wasn't given when they grew up. So we've got a long way to go. But, you know, it, you know, instead of pointing fingers at somebody else's fault or the government did this, that three are pointing back at you. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And uh, and we should offer every child the opportunity of thinking like that, you know, and being aware of that because it doesn't exist in the educational system at all. No. So, uh, yeah, done numerous shows on the educational system and how it needs to change oh. on, on so many levels. Um, and, but, you know, the, the children like Greta and like your grandson and like a few other kids out there, they are actually speaking from their heart and soul. They're speaking already from a higher consciousness. So they will speak to, I'm sorry, you're not educating me. You're boxing me. Right. That's exactly right. Right. You know, you look at a child and the wonder that they live in, the exploration that they live in, uh, the creativity, and then they go to school and it's conform, conform, conform. No, you can't. You must do as I tell you. Yeah. And we kill that creativity. And right. there are some that burst through and go, no, you know, it's it's within me. And we lose so much other talent and creativity because we suppress it. And that's something that has to stop. Oh, absolutely. Oh, well, absolutely. Uh, you know, um, and I feel for kids, particularly now, uh, under these circumstances, that they 
you can't get an education today. It's very, very difficult. But it's a great opportunity for parents yes. to expose them to this stuff, to things like this. Uh, for example, I, I was talking about earlier on, I'm not sure if any of the people watching this show may remember, or it might have been in the other module, the first part that we did about this film Cosmic Voyage, mm. uh, narrated by Morgan Freeman, which has a beautiful musical score, by the way. And it was an IMAX film. Uh, and by the way, I, I, I worked one of the first IMAX films when I worked in Canada for the National Film Board for Expo 67 in Montreal. Oh, uh, right. So anyway, um, uh, why am I talking about that is because I, I sent my daughter yesterday a copy of that show. And I said, sweetheart, just put everything aside when this arrives in the mail. Just put your two boys in front of the television set, turn the side up as loud as you can and let them watch that film mm-hmm. and let them get a sense of wonder. Yes. You know, some people have always said, uh, people have said, well, what would you teach kids? And I said, well, if I lived on a desert island and uh, let's say Armageddon came and everything fell apart and there was no more anything, I would teach them two things. I would teach them about music, which mm-hmm. is about feeling. Yes. And then I would teach them about astronomy because that's about vision and that gives you science. And when you have that sense of awareness, the vastness of it all, that's what, which takes you into the world of science. That will take you to the world of mathematics. That will take you into the world of measuring. That will take you into the world of understanding physics. Mm-hmm. You need music to feel. And it gives you language. gives you all the other things. You only need to learn about astronomy and music and you can get everything else will fall into place automatically. And you I get, still didn't believe that. <laughs> yeah, you get into a rhythm of life. I mean, life isn't a rhythm. It's an algorithm. <laughs> yeah. Right? You know, and it's what is your rhythm? What is your vibe? What is your frequency? Yeah. You know, and the reason why we talk like that, because everything is a frequency, everything is a vibe. And if we get into the rhythm of life in an entombment with the cosmos, you know, then we truly actually understand what we're here. And we see between the lines. We don't get caught up, you know, by the lines trying to steer us this way. Um, and we realize that there is no straight line. There is no straight line at all. No, there is no straight line. Yeah. And if you really start digging, uh, there is also no time. No. There is no tomorrow or yesterday. No, nope, there's only now. That's a complete illusion. And things change. I mean, the mere fact that movement alters time, as Einstein mm-hmm. proved, I mean, there's no such thing as time. We're not locked into anything. No. It, all variable and you know uh it is it's extraordinary i i think i think as we delve it's like cutting your way into a deep field and the deeper you chop away and cut into the field you think you get into the other side the deeper you chop and cut and hack the more you know how much there is still to cut away yes and to learn the deeper you go the more you know there is still remaining and that's what makes it so exciting who wants the end yeah, yeah. You know, I, there's various chapters in your life, right? Okay, this chapter has come to an end, but what's the beginning? And, you know, the, the, the death is not in the dying. Oh, no. Absolutely. The death is in the not exploring life anymore. You know, like we talked about in the first, uh, first show, you know, um, Esther Schifrin and the Pink Lady in the 83 and 88, still absolutely living life and absolutely immersed in it. And it's like, what's this thing about by this age, you've got to do this and age, you've got to do that. Get up and live every day. If you're slower than you were 20 years ago, so what? Right? Go at your own pace. But for God's sake, live life. Get engaged with life. Be a part of it. Do something that means something to you. 
because that means that's your contribution and we've got to look at what is our contribution yes absolutely it's not all about taking and getting no or no actually you get more when you give yeah 100 percent. yeah and you've certainly given a great deal through your life you know the the documentaries the books the movies everything that you've done and you know your heart and soul has been in it your passion is in it you were ignited at the age of four by you know um esther williams you know i want to be in the movies i want to to be part of this magical world and it was your calling and you've taken so many different roads in order to get there, which helped you hone your craft in, recognize what really is relevant, what really storytelling you want to tell. And you've left an incredible legacy, which you haven't gone anywhere yet. You've still got more to come. Yeah, uh, I of you to say that, but thank you for saying that. I, I, I have tried to, I try to broaden hor- horizons for, for people, particularly the ch- my children, but for everybody, for the audience as well. Broaden horizon, you know, the horizon is not where it ends. There's more. Yes. And as long as they're aware of that, just keep that alive. Um, I said many, many years ago when my, when my two first children were very, very tiny, we were standing in Hillbrow. I was mm-hmm. in between marriages and I had an apartment in Hillbrow. I had on the 12th floor and I had a, a pot plant over there. And I said to the kids, come out on the balcony and look at the moon. The moon is very, very bright. And they came and stood there and they, and they said, why are you showing us this? And I said, and I had to think of an answer. And I said, okay. Well, when you one day figure out the moon and yourself and that pot plant over there, the connection between the three of you, when you figure that out, you'll know why I told you to look at the moon tonight. And you think about that. And you know, my son is now, he's now 51 and my daughter is 50 and they keep saying to me, dad, that's the best thing you ever told us. Mm -hmm. We're still figuring out that connection because as long as we keep figuring, figuring it out. Yes. That's what it's all about. You know, how we are all connected and it's about infinity and all sorts of things. Thank you for telling us that. Yes. And we're just, all part of the same energy. We're all made out of universal particles, right? There is a connection and a thread and a matrix between every one of us, that vibration, that in syncness. And as we open up to that and don't look at anything as impossible, just as I'm possible, it's possible. We don't know what is possible until, you know, every crisis, a war, a pandemic, anytime there is a crisis, what does it do? It brings out the best in humanity, but it also brings out the most creative. Mm-hmm. When there is a need, we are creative, right? Let's get creative without the need. Let's get creative because of the curiosity, mm-hmm. because of the exploration, because of the wonderment, you know? And I know that certain sciences, well, you know, why did you develop that? Because I can but it's destructive. Well, how do you take that destruction and make it into something that now becomes um, a creation that to serve and not yeah. destroy? I think human beings have to get out of the destroy mode. Uh, we're in a different playing field right now. We're in a different plane right now. And it is about uh, the creation of, of ourselves, of our existence, of life, and it isn't about the damnation of, and we get out of judgment, 
we get out of fear, we get out of hate, we will then truly see human beings truly thrive and be what they were always meant to be. We're our own detriment. Set yourself free. Very true. Very true. All of that. And I hope your, I hope your viewers hear you because it's all very true and very relevant and more relevant than ever before. Yes, more relevant than ever before. You know, the, we've been invited right now to step up and to change it up. And that means us. You know, you want peace in the world, be the peace. You want love, be the love. You want creativity, be the creation. We are the answer. Yeah. Stop being the problem. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Is, is there any one thing or couple of things that the thread for all the work that you've done, you know, the books, the documentaries, the movies, is there any thread through that that has, has been a consistence that's always been with you and that's always, is, is always been that message that's been affirming for you? Well, I, I think it's, it's it always comes back to that little um, example that I gave you of cutting your way through that field. Mm. That the, the, the further you go, the more you accomplish, the deeper you go, you think you're making you know, that you, 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 you know, you, you want to get out of the swamp. You want to, you want to get to the other side, but there is so much more still to discover. There's still so many more reads to go. And each one, every time you hack away, you're learning new things. As long as we keep learning all the time, mm -hmm. I think that makes it all so worthwhile and propels one. You know, uh, it nurtures the soul. It nourishes yes. the spirit. It's, it's to do with spiritual and, and the growth of consciousness. That's what it's about. Yeah. It's not writing the one book and sitting back. It's uh, being intrigued with another topic and another book or another documentary or another movie to come out of it. No end to it. Exactly. No. Yeah, you just, you just, you know, as, as the pink lady says, it ain't over until I say it's over. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, a great, it's a great saying, yes, that she's got. Yes, absolutely. Or into the universe says to us, okay, you've learned all you need to learn here now. You've left your mark. Yeah. You know, now it's, it's time to transcend and ascend into another plane. Yes. Right, and okay. I think the other important thing I think that people, uh, certainly in the West, don't know enough about yet is that this is not all there is. Oh, God, no. <laughs> uh, there, there is very little. Absolutely. You find, you find snippets of it when you go to the Orient, mm. uh, when you delve into Hinduism or Buddhism or one. This is not all that there is at all. There is so much more. And whether we're talking about karma or reincarnation or whatever, and I totally, not only do I subscribe to that, but I've had enough evidence of that. Right, me too. There is this endless wheel you know yeah. the, the, the the symbol on the flag of india the wheel the, the wheel of life that's yes it, 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 it's, it's a constant wheel right and we're all part of that you know we're in and out we dip in and out and the lesson goes on you know this is only one little tiny lesson in one period of one day at yes. school that's all it is yes yes and uh, stop looking for completion it's only a full stop yeah yeah, and uh, you know, yes, and it's an indication to what lies beyond. Right, there's always another chapter. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and that's the thing. You always be willing for another chapter in your life, yeah. um, because uh, it not only is it the reason for living, and you know, uh, and but it's the sharing of that wisdom. You know, as they say, the head is full of knowledge. 
but unless you listen from the soul heart and spirit mm -hmm. wisdom you're not going to know how to use that knowledge mm -hmm. and right. if we've become very much knowledge mongers without understanding what it is we know mm -hmm. and unless you ignite the heart soul and spirit into the conversation and the equation you're not going to understand how to use that knowledge absolutely now which 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 play was it was it was it uh was it uh, Thomas? Uh, um, was it the the the? Um, I forget. But there's some wonderful uh, um, play um, where the um, a man wants to marry uh, a daughter, and uh, the father says, "Oh, don't waste your time on her. She's too full of education." Uh, <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's it's some very famous author, <laughs> but it's it's so true. You know, uh, it's not about the intellect. No. And it's not about the education. It's about the feeling and the depth and the understanding. And there's a huge, huge difference. There's oh. a huge difference. You know, the uh, education and the intellect is only part of the, of the journey taking you. Stanley Kubrick is one of my favorite directors. Mm -hmm. um, I think the man is a genius for many, many reasons as a filmmaker as well as a human being, he's a difficult human being, but his films are just extraordinary. Um, and uh, somebody was asking him something and he said, it's not about, a thing isn't about how you think about the thing. It's about how you feel about the thing. Life is entirely about feeling. And that's what it's about. Feel your knowledge. Yeah, that's what it's about. When you devise a scene or you write a line or you want to impart a lesson or whatever, it's not about understanding and knowing and teaching it's about feeling well what did they say if you know it um what is that expression they don't care what you do for them as long as you make them feel good yeah you know it's mm. it, it's about the feel how do you make people feel how do you feel about it everything is feeling we're so scared to tap into those feelings but the feelings is the very flame of life totally yeah so we have to you know delve into our souls mm -hmm. and resonate with that and we're all on the same we're all on a journey everything including from, from ponies to petunias to people we're all on a journey yes yes uh, all here for a reason and yeah. we've just got to tap into what that reason is and and, and your reason you. was to be the storyteller <laughs> yeah we don't have to know the reason as long no, as you just, are aware just, of the fact that this is not happening by chance no no no, nothing is by chance. And the thing is, is if you, if you put that one foot out there, you know, I always say go blind, deaf and dumb in order to see, hear and feel. Yeah. Just be willing to explore your backpack of knowledge of skills and tools that you've learned through the experience of life is what you carry with you. But you walk forward in wonderment, blind, deaf and dumb in order to uh, see, hear and feel and experience the next experience. Yeah. Don't preconceive what that experience is. Don't go by a manual. Just be willing to explore. You, the more you are immersed in your heart and soul, the more you are guided forward in safety. And everything that you learn is for a reason. Absolutely true. This has been an absolute delight. So the books, I know both of them are coming out at different times. So there's one, there's this one, if I may just say, uh, that's coming out in July. And this is a story of aviation. So that right. one will be out in July. So on my website, people can see all of the books right uh and i'm quite pleased with this flying springbok because um i wanted to write this history about, about aviation it's mm. about you know when britain was this great big power how did it how did britain during especially during the war 
maintain contact with its colonies way out there in the middle of us down in Australia and bottom end of Africa, you know, aviation was the way to do that. Right. And so this book celebrates that. And um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I had the opportunity of doing this because I've always wanted to write a book about aviation. I, I'm, a, I'm an aviation fanatic. I love engineering. I like good machines. I like mm. things that work efficiently. You know, I love that sort of stuff. And I just think that aviation is one of the great achievements of humanity. Yes. It really is. It opened up our world, <laughs> literally. It's, it's an amazing story. It's peppered with the most fascinating people, all of them. Mm. So we've, you know, when we look at aviation, we've got to look at the people behind aviation. Yeah. And uh, oh, the, the wonderful movie, Hugh. Um, Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes. Uh, that movie. On, on the aviation, you know, that, that one particular scene of the plane coming in and hitting the rooftops. Uh, I thought that was such an incredible movie and so well played by um, Leonardo DiCaprio. And and I thought it was a movie that should have won and it didn't, um, but I thought it was an excellent movie. Um, my father was a pilot in the war. Um, he was a squadron leader, um, fighter pilot, um, came in many a time with the flames, you know, coming out of the arse, managed he, to make it. What, he flew? He flew Spitfires? What yes. He Spitfires? Yeah, he mostly flew Spitfires. He was there to protect the bombers, though he, he trained in everything. He actually trained in uh, Florida oh. uh, because they couldn't train obviously there. So he yeah. was denied initially to be a pilot because, um, you know, they were kind of more snobbish back then. Yeah. And he, he went out to sea and got sunk. Uh, managed to find their life. And then after the Battle of Britain, they were needing pilots. He learned to fly in 17 hours. And so they sent him off to Florida to learn, you know, more and more about the aviation and they came back and he would go in at night and get the spies out and get people out and protect the bombers. And, um, and then they found out after three years that he had a, a defect in his eye. And that he shouldn't be flying at night. He'd been doing it for three years. <laughs> so, no he wouldn't either. talk about it. He wouldn't talk about it. I've got this wonderful albums of these photographs of him. and um, But he wouldn't talk about it. Interesting. So, you know, I miss not knowing about that. So when other people talk about it, it's actually talking about my father that wouldn't talk to me about it. So, you know, we want to know what was it like for them. And when somebody else is willing to share that story, even though it may not be your father's story, it, it's it's like you have a better understanding of what they went through. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, I always regret never having asked my, my parents enough questions. Yeah. And, but you know, it, you, you only realize that when it's too late. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah. And, you know, my, my ex-husband is, is Chinese and his family, you know, um, were from China and uh, they were caught up during the Mao revolution. And the one uncle was killed because he owned the um, power plants and things like this. And we got yeah. a snippets of story, but we could never get them to completely give us the whole thing. And my one daughter who's pregnant has just done the ancestry thing. And it's actually quite fascinating, oh. you know, to see what oh. comes up. <laughs> I'm always intrigued. What, what parts make us up? So intrigued. We've got to stay intrigued, right? You know, wonderment. Stay intrigued and amazed. All the yes. Time. Yes. And, and life is amazing if you're willing to open up to it. Stop moaning and groaning about what you don't have. Be appreciative and gratitude of what you do have and what is still yet to be explored. Absolutely. 
and they could start off with your books. So the uh, the first book, Full Service, is been out there for a while. A, a new documentary coming out on that. Obviously, they kind of took a little bit from it to make that Hollywood uh, show. Uh, most certainly intriguing. I'm going to get this book. I want to know more. Uh, that's already out. Forever in Your Veins comes out in January 2021. January the 1st, January the 1st, 2021, and they can pre-order it right it now? pre-ordered now online, you know, uh, Amazon or Barnes & Noble or all the bookstores will carry it, yes. And the Flying Springbrook comes out in July yeah, next year. Springbrook will be out in July. It's already listed uh, on foils uh, in London and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Amazon and Barnes & Noble are relisting it, but you can't order it yet. Right. Okay. And, you know, never mind everything else that you've done. I hope that all your documentaries and everything that you've done are, are accessible, you know, that they're in, you know, DVD or somewhere out there that people can can get them. Because, again, you know, that kind of knowledge never dies. It's, it's always a wonderment for someone who wishes to know. One of the great things that now exists is, is YouTube, you know. Yes. Out on YouTube. It's become my favorite channel. I right. find the most wonderful things to watch on YouTube. Yes, like you on my YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching yesterday, you know, restoring old cars, and I'm fascinated by all these things. Yes. I just love all that stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah, my, my ex-boyfriend had a 1937 Chevy, and he was the second owner. The other <laughs> owner hardly ever drove it. And yeah. Bonnie and Clyde was out at that time, so we used to do Bonnie and Clyde weddings <laughs> with the Chevy. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Now, YouTube is, is, is absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, and the variety that you can yeah. see. Oh, yeah, a lot of my shows, not all of them, but quite a few of them are, in, are on YouTube. And we have your YouTube link. Is it just under your name? No, it, it'll be under the, under the title of the show, unfortunately. It doesn't go under the title of the maker. Um, they haven't addressed that yet. Uh, so beyond Can it be found through your site? Uh, no, unfortunately not. But if anybody wants to know about it, I mean, I'd be very happy to, 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 to tell them, uh, give them information about that if they want to contact me through my website lionelfriedberg.com and there's a link there where they can email me directly or just leave a message for me i'll get back to people but you know whether it's to do with uh, the beyond death show uh or uh tons of other stuff that i have uh, online uh early vigilantes um you know science um nature the shape of life a series i did for national geographic how how nature designed bodies in nature why are worms worms mm. why are shells shells what made that take place you know um it, it's it's it, the shape of life it's it, mm. it's it's an endless array of stuff there's so much out there I'm sorry, I'm going to say to you that you are going to have to get someone to put every single one of these links on your site and I want every <laughs> single link please some of them are mentioned on the website, the, the titles, but not all. I mean, okay. just... you got to put all of them up. Come on. Don't let this go, you know, just yeah. be found by no, that. I've done a lot of stuff. And I've been very, when I say that, I've been very fortunate to have been able to do so much amazing stuff. Yes, and, you have. To, to I mean, when Esther told me about you, you've got to meet Lionel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, into this world and beyond, you know, through the, the, the Voyager show as an example. Yeah. Uh, that the universe, you know, that Voyager, I have on my wall, I have a duplicate of the gold plate that's on the side of the spacecraft. Oh, wow. Where they have put all selected music and images of planet Earth, plus children saying hello from the children of planet Earth in 80 languages. Oh, on beautiful. The, I've got a picture of that on my wall. 
And when you think about the spacecraft, it's going to take 470 something thousand years to get to the next star and we'll just keep going. Doesn't that boggle the mind? Yes. But we're all on that journey. Yes. We're all on that journey. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's the, the human exploration, but we don't have to be wait for that. That's what the human body is going to do. But if you really want to explore the universe says you can do it yes. through traveling to those different dimensions because there's the astral travel. So you don't do it yourself. You yeah. can, yes. And maybe that's a topic for another discussion, but absolutely. Yes. And so I would love to have that topic with you on another discussion, most certainly. And I cover a little bit of that in Forever in My Veins, but mm. yeah, that is another topic. And we really must we really must break the barrier where people are reticent to talk about that. We've got to go there. Oh We've yeah, I go there all the time. You know, and, and you know it's free will. You can listen or not listen. If you're not ready for it, you're not ready for it. If you're ready for it where you're just wondrous, you know, and it, and want to understand more welcome to listen but you know no there is no holding back it's got to be explored yeah that's that's where we have to go and we have to we have to open the mind of children to that we've got they've got to be aware of the fact that there's more than what lies beyond the garden gate yes absolutely 100 percent, and and it's absolutely incredible if you're willing to explore it Lionel, this has been absolutely wonderful. Both shows, um, you've really shared so much with us. You have had an incredible life. And uh, we're very fortunate that you have poured yourself, you know, out into everything. And you weren't just one dimensional, you know, you, you've really explored all the different avenues uh, of wonderment, which is wonderful. Because, you know, some people do, they get on a, a bandwagon and they're good at that and they stay at that and not with you. Um, you've given us the diversity and it's it's absolutely wonderful. For say, Thank you for being well, so courageous you. in your life and taking your journey. Thank you. Thank you so much. And this has been a pleasure. I really have enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Sarah. I do appreciate this opportunity. Um, and you're coming back where we're going to go out into the world beyond. <laughs> beyond the twilight zone. Yeah, absolutely. 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 We've got to do that. We've got to get that booked in. But um, it's LionelFriedberg.com. All the information up there, the books, uh, everything. And all they have to do is come to selfdiscoverymedia.com and put in your name. And your show posting comes out where everybody can listen to it, watch it, and see where everything else is going. This has been an absolute delight. Pure joy. We're going to book in another show um, to open up the Twilight Zone and yes. go delving into that. Um, but this has been an absolutely extraordinary journey. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. I've appreciated it and I've enjoyed it enormously. Thank you. Until next time, folks, I hope that he's opened up your world and just shown you a different world out there. Um, and just there's so much to learn from him. Please go and read the books. Uh, go and explore the YouTubes. I'm going to see and find as many as I can and put it on his posting. Uh, you know, a life well lived and a life well shared. And uh, you too can learn so much from it and maybe open up your own doors into exploration. So until next time, bye for now. We hope you enjoyed the show. We look forward to bringing you more shows. Please go to selfdiscoverymedia.com slash shows and you will see the incredible lineup of genres and shows that we have for you. We are here to make a difference in your life. Thank you for listening.